All right. Good evening. How's it going? Good. Well, it's good to finally get down here. Um, thanks. <laughs> Show some love. Um, and uh, yeah, Mike and I go back about 12 years, actually. Met him when I was 17 and he was 15, and uh, he wasn't a Christian, actually, at the time, and I had just rededicated the year before my life to Christ to serve him afresh, and uh, that's, and I was friends with his older brother, same age as his older brother, and that's how I met Mike, and uh, so it's been really cool as our friendship uh, to this day, and uh, kind of glad that he's here with you guys, and how he's been teaching you guys through Judges and what he's been uh, doing with uh, Sam and Genesis has been awesome to hear about. And so he just kind of asked me to come share. But before we get into like a Bible study or uh, the message tonight, I wanted to kind of share a little bit update. Uh, most of you know that I was a missionary in Spain for uh, about three and a half years, almost four years. And I had some visa problems and some troubles. And I uh, had to come back. So I'm actually in hiding right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, these are actually lickum stickums. They're only temporary henna tattoos now. Um, no, I just kind of came here and uh, I had to come back and I was like trying everything I could to get the visa renewed and negotiate. It just wasn't happening. And so God obviously was closing that door and uh, had to come back. I've been back for three and a half months. I got back June 2nd. And then it was kind of like we're at a crossroads and it's like, well, pray about leaving the country again. I was looking at Costa Rica we were looking at Cape Town, South Africa. Um, then I thought, well, if I come back to the States, maybe I should go out of state. And I just kind of felt like really, like I just didn't want to come back to California. And I think for me personally, because I knew what I was called to do, and that was to plant a church myself and take a step of faith and start a church and do something new. And I definitely felt called to urban. I wanted to go to the city. That was for sure. But I was like, well, you know, I'm just not sure if I should come back and plant yet another church in California. But at the same time, I had to get over that and really realize, you know what, there's needs everywhere. The whole mission field is the world. And if God really wants me here, he wants me here. And so long story short, God has opened the door and I'm currently in the process of uh, planning a church in West L.A., um, specifically in Venice Beach. So... Um, Real family plate. No, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> so I'll be going there. I think that's where I fit. No, and, uh, that I'm kind of pumped about it because it's really full circle for me. From when I was a boy, when I was a kid, I used to love going with my unsaved uncle and aunt, and they still aren't saved, so you can pray for them, to Venice Beach. And my parents never really understood why I like to go in there. Like, why do you want to go there? And I just, I just drawn to the place. But even as a young boy, I said, you know, if someone would just come here and, share Jesus with these people and really sincerely love them and not be harsh with them and be all up in their faces and really just serve them. And I was a kid at that time, so I kind of felt like, you know, again, this is a short story version because I can talk, but God, you know, just kind of brought me back and I was like, that's where you're called to be. And I connected with uh, Metro Calvary Chapel up in Santa Monica with Pastor Steve Snook and kind of said, hey, do you guys got a church there in Venice Beach? And he's like, actually, there's not. And I, I met him in January, and he's like, we were just praying, God answer our prayers, because we need to do something in Venice, and now we're talking to you. And I'm like, whoa. And so I was just kind of like, maybe this is of the Lord. You know, it's not just me wanting to come back to California. And so we just kind of worked it through, and there was some doubts. And it was a, probably one of the hardest years of my life, to be honest with you, and transparent, and in my ministry. And 
God, it was just evident that God was in it. And so I'm teaming up with Pastor Steve and Metro Calvary Chapel uh, to plant a church in Venice Beach. And we want to extend on the whole west side and trying to get into the prison legally, of course, uh, in downtown L.A. They have about 18,000 inmates there and trying to become a chaplain there because uh, I have prison ministry has always been a passion of mine. And now also I want to minister to both sides of the law, so I'm trying to become a chaplain for the police as well, minister to the officers because statistically a lot of them get divorced and how they cope with what they see every day is alcohol. So a lot of them are alcoholics. And uh, so I just felt like, okay, Lord, let's go minister to the cops as well. And um, so we're just kind of praying through these things. What you could pray for me is that we're hoping to launch everything, Lord willing, next month in October. You know, we're kind of looking at a place right now to meet. It may even just be the beach, you know, right there by the boardwalk. And right now I'm trying to get a tent-making job. Because uh, obviously I'm unemployed now that I'm back from the field and uh, need to get a job. So pray for a job and pray. Uh, I think I found a place to live, but just pray that God confirms it. I was actually looking at a room to rent in L.A. And, of course, um, I'm trying to – I got a few open places. Right now, to be honest with you, the dream job I applied at Gold's Gym, the original Gold's in Venice. Because I just got uh, – like Sam never thought he'd probably be a dog trainer and – he became that, and now he has his own reality show. You can catch it on TLC now. I'm just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, I had to think, okay, like what can I do where I'm flexible? I can kind of dictate my own hours. And I was really racking my brain and trying to pray through. And like beggars can't be choosers, and I'm a beggar. But, you know, I want to get a job, Lord, where I could have that flexibility to really focus on playing at the church. And so this summer I went through the through the ranks, and I, I became a certified personal trainer, and so I'm trying to get into the fitness world and maybe get my foot in there and minister to some of the guys there at Golds and stuff and see what happens. So just pray that hopefully I get an interview next week. I just called them today, and they're doing interviews next week, and I already got my application in, and we'll just kind of see how the Lord leads. You know, it could be down there and pumping them up, but also with the gospel. But uh, so it'll be good. Um, so that's the update, and, uh, but tonight, I really was really just like, okay, should I do a, a message on, you know, something to do with missions and, you know, be the stereotypical missionary and come in? I almost did, you know, I was kind of praying through it, and I'm like, but Lord, what do you want to say to Genesis tonight? What's the word of the Lord tonight? And I felt like this was, it's funny that you guys are going to be having something on legacy, because that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So if you take notes, I title my messages to this day, and I titled it Legacy, but subtitled Greatness. We're going to talk about greatness tonight, and if greatness is bad, or if it's good, or it's in the Bible, and how do you become great? So we're going to talk about legacy, greatness, and before we pray and start, you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to our main text, and that's going to be Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And we're going to look at uh, verse 46 to verse 50. So again, that's Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, uh, verse 46 through verse 50 is our main text. And if you want, you can also turn to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 20. We'll get to that kind of toward the middle or the end. So go ahead and turn there, give you some time. It definitely is good to be with you guys and see what God's doing. I know the church is three and a half years old, and even I had breakfast this morning with Sam at Denny's, and we had a grand slam, and it was good catching up, you know, and I, I, I really, really appreciate Sam, and what I've always admired about Sam is that he's always been a man of vision, and a man that wants to get out in the community and do things for the gospel, and that's kind of the same thing I hope to 
emulate there in Los Angeles is get outside the office, so to speak, and be out there in the world really loving and serving people. And so we really had a good talk this morning, and it really felt like, okay, this was the message for tonight in light of our, our conversation earlier. So let's go ahead and pray. And are you guys with me? Anyone need to stand up and stretch or anything like that? Oh, that's a habit, just being a youth guy for so long. It's like, wake up, kids, you know? I've kind of spoiled now because I actually love teaching adults, you know, because you actually drove yourself here. You wanted to be here. It's like, you want to learn. So it's like, when I got to Spain, I was like spoiled. I was like, oh, this is how it's like to want to be heard to a certain degree. But uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we just thank you so much that you're a God, as even as we worshiped you tonight and looking at those lyrics, that all of us make so many mistakes. And even this past year, it's personally been, again, probably the hardest year of my life in ministry. And I've even learned a lot about myself and how I have, well, this flesh and this tendency to be carnal at times and tendency to say things I shouldn't say and do things I shouldn't do and think thoughts I shouldn't think. And I realize that any good that's been in my life, Father, it's, it's all along it's been because of your Holy Spirit that anyone sees anything good in my life. And I think we can all say the same to you tonight, Lord, those of us who've been walking with you for quite some time. Lord, I pray that in spite of us, you still choose to bless, you still choose to use our life to make it count. And I pray, God, that tonight your church would be encouraged, would be lifted up, would be challenged, even convicted. Because we know that conviction is good because it simply means you're convincing us that something's wrong in our heart or in our life and needs to change and be made right. So we thank you, God, for conviction that comes by your Holy Spirit through the scriptures. Pray that you would just speak to us like you always do when we open this book. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When God measures the greatness of an individual, he puts the tape measure around the heart and not the head. Richard Foster said this about greatness. The most radical social teaching of Jesus was his total reversal of the contemporary notion of greatness. Thomas A. Kempis said this, He is truly great who is little in his own eyes and makes nothing of the highest honor. G.K. Chesterton said this, There is a great man who makes every man feel small, but the real great man is the man who makes every man feel great. And finally, William Shakespeare said in the Twelfth Night, Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And as in anything tonight, we need to define our terms and our words. But let's start with defining legacy. And let me just give you a quick dictionary definition of legacy. The amount of money or property left to someone in a will or an inheritance, something that has come from a predecessor or of the past. The big idea here is that you're not too young and you're not too old to start thinking and to start praying even tonight about your legacy. What will you be remembered for? And what you realize if those of you have been a Christian for a while, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are and what you're becoming. That really is the key. If you are really becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're going to look at greatness in legacy. And in Luke's Gospel chapter 9, 
we have this conversation, this dispute. And um, let's go ahead and read it before I say anything more. Let's pick it up in verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. You might want to underline that. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to him, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be underlined that great. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Verse 50. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is on our side. Now, if you pause to give me your attention, whose greatness besides Jesus? Because if I were to ask you tonight whose greatness you admire or whose greatness you're intrigued by or whose greatness interests you, of course, because we're in church tonight, you would say, oh, Jesus. But besides Jesus, whose Twitter do you follow? Whose Facebook do you follow faithfully and you're just in awe and intrigued and interested in their greatness? And maybe it's a celebrity, it's an actor, it's an actress, or maybe it's an athlete, maybe it's a, a musician, and you faithfully follow their Twitter feed and their post and maybe even want to pillow fight them on Facebook once in a while because you're intrigued by their greatness. You know, some Bible commentators... Whenever I, I studied for this text, all the Bible commentators pretty much say that this is probably the dumbest conversation in the history of the world. Why? Well, because they're having this argument about who's greater, and it's like, it's obvious. It's Jesus. You know, he's perfect. He, he raises the dead. He feeds multitudes. He heals the sick. It's like, what are you even talking about? It's obvious who's the greatest out of the bunch here. It's Christ himself. But... I don't think really that's the issue here. I think what happened was the apostles saw the greatness of Jesus. They were inspired by it. And it's like, I, I want to be great. I, I want to learn and do and be more than I already know and what I already am. And so they see the greatness of Jesus Christ and they go, you know what? I'm kind of attracted to that. I'm inspired by that. Maybe... I too can be great. So we know that there's this deep human longing in all of us for greatness. And so you see that Jesus doesn't rebuke him here. He doesn't go, hey, you want to be great? That's worldly. That's carnal. That's sinful. That's bad. No. Instead of rebuking and correcting them, what does he do instead? He says it's a teaching moment. I'm now going to instruct you. Okay, you want to be great? Let's take that desire and let's purify it a little bit. Let's purge it a little bit. Let's give it some guidance and let's give it some direction. And let me tell you how to be great. Let me tell you how to achieve greatness and accomplish that. So that's what Jesus does here. And, and, and that's what I see in the text. I could be wrong. I don't know. I've been wrong before. But I, I see that. I don't see him again coming down hard on him like it's so wrong to be great. But let me tell you how to be great in a righteous, godly way. Again, it's, why do you want to better yourself? In fact, here's wisdom. Write this down. Proverbs 25, 27. Wisdom says this. It is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Let me say that again, that last part. So to seek one's own glory is not glory. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. 
And just like anything, the devil in human nature has a way of polluting and corrupting things, doesn't it? And, that, and maybe tonight what we have to do is redeem greatness. You know, that word redeem means to buy back. You know, sometimes in life, um, we get counsel from unbelievers. For example, you might have saw your doctor recently, and he says it's probably a good idea if you diet, you exercise, and drink lots of water. Now, just because he's not a Christian says, I can't receive that. No, it's actually good counsel, good advice. Diet, exercise, and drink plenty of water. But then sometimes there's things we see in the world where they'll just blatantly say, do this, and you know it's sin. But then there's things like this issue of greatness. And it's like, well, it could be sinful, but it's not entirely bad. So we need to redeem greatness. We need to get it back. In fact, I'm going to start with that definition of greatness. Let's start with how the world defines greatness. How many of you guys heard of a, of a guy named Narciss? Okay, Narciss is a story of ancient Greek legend and folklore of a handsome youth, a young man, who refused everyone who wanted to be his lover. He had never seen his own reflection before. Well, one day he was thirsty. And Narciss was going on a stroll, and he was going for a walk, and lo and behold, there's this pond, and he happens to see his reflection for the very first time in that pond. Now, as he sees this reflection in the water, not recognizing himself, he ends up falling in love with his reflection, and is, becomes enamored and addicted to himself. Now, as the legend and story goes, he gazes continually and constantly for so long that eventually he dies gazing at himself and becomes the flower, as you know, Narciss. And clinically, in our day and age, it's called narcissism, to be narcissistic. It means I'm the center of my life and universe. And in psychology, they call that a personality disorder and a mental illness. That's what they would diagnose you as. You got a personality disorder and a mental illness of you are narcissistic. Now, in our contemporary American culture, i.e. pop culture, who tend to be the narcissistic people in our culture? Well, those who are famous. It's simply known for being known. Now, there was a day and age when you would become famous for actually doing something. You know what I mean? You actually contributed something to... Mankind, the human race, society, and civilization. Nowadays, you're just known for being known. You're just famous for doing something nuts or outrageous on YouTube or having your own reality show. And that's really where our culture's going. And it's like, I just want to be known. I want to have attention. I have to have attention. I want people to know me. In fact, I'll get some participation like Mike Turner does, and we'll do some youth pastor stuff here. Um, make sure you're awake. Uh, in the year 2000, how many reality shows did you think there were in America about 11 years ago? Now, back in 92, we had the real world. And back then, they didn't call it reality TV when it was on MTV. But in 2000, how many reality shows do you think there were? There were like four. As of last year in 2010, how many do you think there were as of just last year? In fact, there's more now, but I'm just saying last year. Too many. Too many. <laughs> That's why Sam refused the producers and ended up not doing the reality show because he was convicted when I talked to him. No, I'm just kidding. But no, there's 320. 
320 reality shows all together on all the channels. In fact, according to Pew Research Center, 51% of 18 to 25-year-old Americans said that becoming famous was their generation's most important or second most important life goal when polled. It wasn't like, I want to be more loving. No, I want to be more generous. No, I want to be more compassionate. No, I want to be more holy. No, I just want to be famous. I want to be well-known. And if I got to do some crazy, nut, weird thing on YouTube, I'll do it. And that's what we see in today's youth, in today's generation, in my generation. I just have to have attention. In fact, I don't quote him often, but I'll quote him tonight. How many of you guys have heard of Dr. Drew? Here's what Dr. Drew said about our society. He actually wrote a book about this subject we're talking about tonight. He said, celebrities, like all narcissists, he uses that word, rely on the world as a mirror, constantly gazing outward in search of gratification or affirmation in order to stave off their unbearable feelings of internal emptiness. How many of you guys have heard of Lawrence Fishburne? An actor who played Morpheus in Matrix. You guys know him? Cool, had the cool sunglasses and those strap things on the side. Um, always is like this, holding his arm, but the guy was pretty cool. But Lawrence, he has a daughter named Montana Fishburn. And here's a quote from her. She says, I've watched how successful Kim Kardashian became, and I think a lot of it was due to the release of her sex tape by Vivid. I'm hoping the same magic will work for me. I'm impatient about getting well-known, famous, and having more opportunities, and this seems like a great way to get started on it. I view making this adult movie as an important first step in my career. And you kind of, I mean, do you feel that it's kind of even like a change right now in the room? I mean, that's really the world's, I want to be great, but... If I want to be great, i got to be famous. I want to be well-known, even compromising. And in fact, if the article goes on to say that obviously her father is grieved. He's distraught. He doesn't approve, by the way, Morpheus. <laughs> Rumor had it, because this, this was an article last year that came out, that he and a couple friends were trying to buy up every tape possible because he was just so embarrassed, just so hurt, but obviously went to the internet, and now, to this day, there's a little bit of a strain and conflict in his, his relationship with and to his daughter because of this, and he's really in a lot of pain. But basically, that's really what the world is dealing with, right? That's what our generation is dealing with. I want to be great, but in order to get there, i got to do something crazy, i got to do something immoral, i got to get a lot of attention. Now, what's the flip side of that? Well, sometimes, like sometimes we do in the church, and Sam and I talked about this this morning, sometimes Christians, well, we can go to the other extreme, can't we? Sometimes we can swing. We say, oh, that's the world. I don't want to be like that. And then we kind of go to the other extreme. And in the false name of humility, what do we say? I don't want to be great. I just want to be humble. Where, in other words, that's the spiritual answer for the cowards, the lazy, and the unmotivated. But in the false name of humility, we'll say it hyper-spiritually and go, 
no, I'm just being humble. <laughs> I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to be like Narciss. I'm just going to be here and not excel at anything. I'm not going to get good grades. I'm not going to, you know, try to make much money and try to be promotable for my boss and be a witness. Because, again, I don't want to be narcissistic. I'm just going to be humble. Just simple. And that's what we do sometimes as Christians. In fact, there was a book written by a Christian author and writer named Dave Harvey. And he wrote a book called Rescuing Ambition. And real quickly, I'm going to borrow from Dave and I'm going to go over the six reasons why he says Christians don't aspire to greatness. Why Christians don't pursue greatness. And number one, if you're taking note, he says, here's what some in the church say. Well, I'm already great. I'm already great. There's no room for improvement or growth here. <laughs> I got the Holy Spirit inside me. got a Bible in my hand. I'm already great. Haven't you noticed? I'm pretty great, you know? And, and that's what some of the churches do. I'm just already great. There's no need to pursue or aspire. I've attained it. I just can't wait to, for everyone else to finally realize that. I'm pretty great. Maybe that's not you tonight, but maybe number two, I have potential to be great. And you're the person who keeps talking, but there's never any results. Well, one day... I could be great if I invest in that. I could be great if I went to that Bible study. I could be great if I went to that Haiti trip that Sam just announced. But you don't go. But I got potential to be great. So in other words, the only reason why I'm not great is because I choose not to be great. But I have the potential to be great. I just don't access it. But I could be great, by the way. How about number three? I used to be great. We all have these uncles and aunts and friends, or even people who are my age, back in the day. Well, back in the day, when I was in high school, you know, I was, you know, the captain of the football team. You know, back in the day, I used to be great. You know, back in the day, I was the cutest, and every guy wanted me. Back in the day. Not now, but back in the day, they did. And so we all have friends and relatives who talk about back in the day how they used to be great and you hear the same story every single time and every time they tell it, it gets less likely. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if you were that cool, cute and funny and awesome before. But I used to be great. You know, I used to be back in the day. How about number four? I'm comparatively great. I mean, have you seen the friends I surround myself with? <laughs> I got pants on. <laughs> You know, I'm great. I'm pretty great. I come home, you know, okay, you know, but it's like compared to the losers I hang out with in my family, I'm pretty great. So I'm comparatively great. How about number five? Tomorrow I'll be great. Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, yeah, hey, watch it, watch it, I'll be great. Just watch, tomorrow I'll be great. You might miss it because tomorrow I'm going to be great. Just not today, but tomorrow I'll do it. I'll be great tomorrow. And lastly, how about number six? If only blank, I would have been great. It's the victim. I'm a victim who's destined for greatness. If I did hurt my knee in college, I would have for sure made pro in the NFL, for sure. I was destined for greatness. I'm just a victim. So I could have been great, but then I bummed my knee out. You know, I could have got signed as a musician. I just didn't have the right guitar. <laughs> I'm a victim. It's obvious. If that wouldn't have happened and I had a better guitar, I wouldn't have been great. You know, if you think about it. 
If I would have married another person, I wouldn't have been great. They make me look bad, you know. But if I would have married my actual soulmate, I would have been great. If I would have had different kids, <laughs> oh, watch out, I would have been great. I would have been great. And so you're, you're that person who the reason why you're not great is because, again, you're a victim. And so everything that's gone wrong, that's why you weren't drafted or you weren't becoming assigned by a label or whatever, fill in the blank. You just, something got in your way and did that. So how, how, how do we redeem greatness? What does it really look like? I mean, can a Christian really aspire for greatness? Is it wrong to want to be great? Think about it. Don't you want not just a good marriage, but don't a lot of you in this room want a great marriage? Doesn't your spouse want a great spouse? Some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, your, your spouse wants you to aspire for greatness. I'll tell you that right now, and I'm not even married. But they want you to be aspire for greatness, I can tell you that. But don't you want to be a great parent? Who doesn't want a great prayer life or a great church they go to and serve at? Who doesn't want a great ministry or great theology? How about even in real life? I, I, you hope, if you're getting surgery, that your heart surgeon is aspiring to greatness. You don't want a surgeon to go, well, <laughs> I'm a surgeon, but I, I, I ditched half my classes, I cheated on my test, and um, you know, I really don't got a degree, you know, but, you know, I, I just feel good about opening people up and cutting their hearts open. You're not going to go, well, I want a humble surgeon, a humble surgeon who doesn't want to be great. No, you want a surgeon who's aspiring to greatness. You want your pilot to aspire to greatness. You don't want a pilot to go, well, actually, i just kind of trying it out here for a second. We're flying all the way to Spain here, thousands of miles away. No, you want to get me off this plane. If my, I don't want a humble pilot. I want a pilot who's aspiring to greatness and humility. You want your brake mechanic to aspire to greatness. You don't want the mechanic to do a haphazard job and go, well, we just kind of tie this here, do a little bit of there, and kind of Mickey Mouse it. There you go, because we're being humble. Christian, I want a Christian mechanic, I want a Christian surgeon who opens me up, and I want a Christian pilot, but I want them humble, I don't want them to be narcissistic, so they better not be great. No. You want them to aspire to greatness. Because here's the thing, the one difference is, they're both narcissistic if you think about it. Even the Christian who has false humility. Why? Because the dilemma is still wanting to please people. You still suffer from the same dilemma, the only problem, the only difference is that the other person type of narcissistic personality just has more junk more possessions but both are equally narcissistic if you haven't caught that already in the study tonight in the false name of humility so how do we deal with this and i'm going to be landing the plane soon but um some of you saying well that would be great but um how do we how do we do this then some of you've been waiting like okay eric you looked at the world and you looked at the extreme legalistic christian who wants to be humble how do we do it that's how we're going to close tonight. What is greatness? I mean, does Jesus have anything? I mean, he has this little child here, but is there anything else that he can say about greatness? Well, I asked you to go to Matthew 20. There's another passage. Again, the same story in Luke 9 is found. If you want to do for homework, you can read Matthew 18, and you can read Mark chapter 9, but we don't have time to go there. But here's where we're going to look at another time that greatness comes up. It comes up again. It's Matthew 20. And we'll just look at verse 24 to verse uh, 28. This is when Jesus himself really nails it. I really appreciate this passage. It says, And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. 
But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are what? Great. Exercise authority over them. That's the world. Great men exercise authority. That's what Jesus Great men exercise authority. That's worldly greatness, by the way. Yet, verse 26, it shall not be so among who? You. Leaders, future apostles, future church planners, and on and on and on, future writers of the Bible. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to what? Become great. great. He doesn't say anything else. Notice that. Jesus is not correcting it. It's okay to have a desire to be great. You might want to underline that. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Think about that. Where is it at, guys? Well, there's greatness found in what? Serving, loving, and helping others. You want to be great? Great, Jesus says. But it's a little misguided. It's not about you. It's about me and my kingdom, and it's about other people. That's what you're going to find greatness. That's going to be a legacy. It's not how much you spent, it's how much you gave. It's not how many men and women served you, it's how many men and women you served. That's going to matter at the end in your legacy. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. In fact, you might want to jot this one down. It's 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. No longer living for yourself. Greatness. Being a slave. Being a servant. In fact, my last current pastor, Rafael Manzanares, Vicario in Spain. One of the reasons why I admired my pastor so much. And one of the many reasons why is he had a quote. He always said this quote. And I, that's why it's stuck in my brain. He said about leadership. You know, because he himself was in a position of authority like we just saw right here. But he says, authority is like soap. The more you use it, the less you have of it. In other words, lead by influence, not by domineering control. Jesus doesn't dominate and control you. He loves you and serves you and then influences you to want to do the same. And people will do more for love than totalitarian, ironclad rule. And sometimes that happens in the church, doesn't it? Pastors fall victim to it, missionaries fall victim to it, leaders fall into it because the authority goes to the head, authority goes to the ego. But yet, again, my pastor, he just said, I, I don't want to do that. I want to just influence you, not necessarily command you and demand things of you. And you know what? It made me want to do more for him and the people and Jesus Christ. It made me want to bless him and Jesus and the people. And maybe want to take steps of faith because love inspired me. In fact, uh, my friend, you might know him, and I'm going to go on the limb here, Scott Thorpe, no, <laughs> soul dog. Um, he said the best job he ever had was working at a dairy. Like a dairy. And so I'm like, Scott, really? He's like, a dairy? That was your best job, bro? He's like, well, it's besides working for myself but and having soul dog. But a dairy, and I go, why the dairy? He said, because our boss, although not a Christian treated all his employees like gold. And you just wanted to work hard. You just wanted to have a good work ethic because the way he treated us. 
And he says, I'll never forget that, man. And I, that spoke to me as a pastor and as a church leader that, oh, God, help me. That those who serve with me, those who quote-unquote serve might serve under me, and I mean that not in a bad way, Lord, help me to treat them like gold. That they will say, man, some of the best, job, best jobs I ever had was just working for the Lord with Eric, man. And may that be said of you. Some of the best jobs I ever had was working with Danny Whaley. Some of the best job I ever had was working with Sam Scotty, man. I'll never forget that time. The best job I ever had was with Meroid. And that's a Mer- No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's just like that's the best job I've ever had. Greatness. Again, in stepping down and serving people, loving people, helping people, that's how you cultivate it, guys. And that's what you should be remembered for. And, and how I want to close tonight is some of you might be thinking, Eric, well, why another church plant? Don't we have enough of those churches around here? I mean, in the world, that is. I mean, why not plant an orphanage? Why not plant a shelter or something? But here's the thing. Jesus said he'd build his church in Matthew 16. Do you know what comes from church? Here's not an exhaustive list, but a sample. Not only do people get saved, but here's what comes from a church according to the Bible and according to 2,000 years, two millenniums of church history. Just listen real quickly. Orphanages do come from it. Schools, Bible colleges, hospitals, shelters for women, seminaries, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, missionaries, pastors, church planners, mission trips, evangelists, Bible teachers, medical missionaries, doctors, nurses, dentists, musicians, bands, authors, worship leaders, recording artists, counselors, professors, theologians, Bible commentators, creation evangelists, Bible translators, Bible scholars, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God, they, they all come from a church. In fact, I just recently saw the screw tape letters for the second time. How many of you guys heard of that book by C.S. Lewis? Well, I finally saw the play twice this year. And this guy's really cool. His name's Max McLean. And it's like you see this awesome ministry of the arts of these thespians, you know, these theater types. And you're like, he too came from a what? A church. All these great things you see all have roots. They came from a church somewhere. And so that's why it's another church plan, because it's not just having a church just to be a church, but there's greatness, there's service that what can come out of a church? What can come out of Genesis, guys? What's going to come out of Genesis? If Sam took a step of faith and he has this church here, a lot can come from this church, more than you ever dreamed. But we have to want to aspire to greatness. See, God, I want to be great. For your glory. Because Proverbs tells me to seek my own glory. It's not glory at all. But to seek your glory. Now that's worth living for. That's worth dying for. That's worth having meaning and purpose. And so be great church. But be great with the motivation for his glory. And for serving others. And let me tell you something. There's nothing more rewarding. And I leave you with one verse. Go ahead and close your Bibles. Acts 20.35. In the words of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. It is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you discover that? I mean, the more depressed I get, and I'm like, why am I so down or why am I depressed? It's because I focus too much on myself. It's because I've been living too much for me. But the more I get my eyes off myself and I just worship and I just praise Him and I serve others, I'm like, man, there's joy unspeakable. And and sometimes it's it's due to our culture, isn't it? It's due to the American culture. You're a snowflake. There's no one like you. You know, you're special. And it's like this toxin since you were young. It's like, well, I'm a snowflake, you know. It's like, all right, you know. It's just like, there's the fact there was a study done 
I wish I had it right here. I'm going off my memory. They, they did a study a few years ago, and I, I saw it in a few different articles. And they tested American youth with other countries. And they did top 10 industrialized, well-developed countries. And in math and geography and spelling, Americans scored the lowest. But they scored the highest in self-esteem. Where do you live? I don't know. Can you spell? No. But I'm a winner. I'm a real winner. Can't read, can't write, can't spell, don't know where I live, but don't you tell me anything different because I'm a winner. I'm a snowflake. You know? So that, that's the thing. That's the culture. There's no one like me. You know? I'm special. You're special, all right? I would write it for you, but you couldn't read it. No, but here's the thing. Because we just have this self-esteem. This self-esteem. We got to get rid of that, guys. You don't, you, you don't need to learn to love yourself. You need to realize tonight at Genesis Community Church that you're already loved perfectly. And now you can leave tonight the building and now be loving because you're already loved perfectly by an awesome God. You don't have to learn to love yourself. We already love ourselves. We're addicted to ourselves, guys. We're all, we're all a little narcissistic in our own ways, by the way, if you didn't catch that. It's not like, oh, I've never suffered. No, we all have to battle that every day of our lives and get our eyes off of ourselves. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, I don't know if I ended early, um, but I don't know what the time limit was. Um, I just kind of took a step of faith, but I think it's a good place to end right here. I think I've said enough. <laughs> and um, you're like, no, go to Venice. Uh, don't come back. Um, so uh, I, I thank Mike for giving me the opportunity. Uh, he's a poet and a gentleman. Um, and I thank Sam as well. <laughs> so... Thank you very much for letting me share with you guys tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that we can come here and it feels like family. And even I haven't been here and I already feel attached to these people, even some people I haven't even met yet. And I feel like a sense of family here, the way it should feel. feel like a sense of belonging and acceptance for just who I am. And I, I look around and I see that we're all dressed differently. We all come from different walks of life and background. But there's no, there's no doubting that your presence is in this room. And that we have all in common a love for you. And we just want to worship you. And that's why we come on Thursday nights. Or come any night to assemble and gather. I just pray for my brothers and sisters that they would redeem greatness. That they wouldn't fall into the worldly, I want to be famous and narcissistic. And just have attention. Because we can even do that in the church and in ministry. But I pray that we wouldn't go to the other extreme either. And in the name of being quote unquote humble, we don't try to be great. We don't try to excel and cultivate gifts that you've given us. You tell us in Proverbs that if we excel in our work, we won't stand before unknown men. And there's like a few Proverbs that talk about a man excelling in his work and really doing a great job at what he's supposed to be doing. Lord, help us to have that kind of wisdom. Help us to aspire to greatness with the attention on you. Help us to do our good works in such a way like Jesus said in Matthew 5, that when they see those good works, they would praise and glorify you, our Father in heaven. And I even pray for the upcoming Haiti trip. Thank you so much that churches like Genesis are taking trips to those kind of countries for that you'd go before them and that you develop a great team just to serve and love and help, that there would be greatness found there, that it'd be a great trip, and that the Haitian people would see greatness because your people are acting like the way they're supposed to act, like the body of Christ, the arms and 
legs and hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So, God, we just pray that you bless the night as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you guys.